Welcome to Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. With Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. I'm Dr. Rick. And I'm Dr. Danny, and we're excited to be back for another episode of Medical Minute. Rick almost sounded really excited when you did at that time. I think he's getting excited. Yeah, I think there's, you got a book, he's cheating right now. I have a book book of jokes. Someone from the office really hooked me up here with a... The Ultimate Dad Joke Book, 501 Hilarious Jokes and Puns. If we make it to 501 dad jokes, my body's going to be on the floor in a puddle of tears. It's going to be awesome. Let me give you one here, Rick. What do you give a sick car? Uh, I'm not sure, Dr. Danny. A fuel injection, obviously. (laughs) So, uh, we're bringing another special guest here, someone who will hopefully be I know will be way more entertaining than that dad joke, Um, and she is a member of our CSNF family. That's right, Rick. Today we have a social worker, Meredith Harlow, in the pod loft with us to talk about coping with your diagnosis. Before we get further, pod loft, I I don't, I feel like I have to veto this. Um, I think anyone who was listening to this podcast just turned it off. And I really stretch, uh, stress that pod loft, you know. He I should really, just say pod he, loft. He really read the script there. Yeah, I was oh, reading. Man. I was you reading liked, paper there. You liked pod loft last. I'll pull it up. You yeah, said pod loft. It. I like that. Prove it. I will. Were my eyes rolling in the back of my head when I said No. Uh, okay. I don't think anyone else has pod loft. Am, am I right, Brenna? I don't know. I know I got it from somewhere. But that's but, okay. I'm sorry you to know. derail the conversation and before Meredith walks out the door and leaves. <laughs> um, getting diagnosed with cancer is obviously a um, emotional and, and, and you know life changing moment for everyone. But every one of our offices here at Cancer Special North Florida has a licensed clinical social worker on their team to help with everything from counseling services to financial assistance. Today's guest, Meredith, is a licensed clinical social worker and the social work team lead and has been with our company for almost 10 years. Meredith earned both her Bachelor of Psychology and Master of Social Work from Florida State University, and we won't hold that against her. And she currently works at our Southside office. Welcome to the pod, Meredith. Thank you. And I believe uh, you were, did this on your own, volunteered for the podcast, is that right? Or did someone coax you into it? I was strongly encouraged by your producer that's so unlike me but i've heard she's she's listened to previous podcasts she's Is that listened right? to all of the episodes she yeah. said well i have listened to some of the episodes <laughs> some, some of them <laughs> well that's right full episodes so meredith i know we kind of touched on some of the many things that you do but can you kind of just give us an overview of you know what goes into becoming a licensed clinical social worker and kind of just walk our listeners through that process Yes. So um, there's lots of misconceptions, I think, when people hear um, you're going to see the social worker. Um, Contrary to lots of beliefs, we don't all put people in nursing homes or take children away or anything like that. Um, So we we do employ licensed clinical social workers. Um, That means that they have a, a master's degree in social work and um, that they've also completed two extra years after completing their master's um, in clinical supervision um, for counseling. So um, they all are really well equipped here to be able to go over with patients what their fears are, with um, you know, concerns that they have. Lots of times there's you know, lots of dynamics involved of families, of 
um, you know, finances and things like that. So they're all really, um, really well equipped to to talk about those things and to um, really help people every step along the way. Meredith, could you explain to us a little bit more about what a licensed clinical social worker responsibilities are and how you help patients through this scary time? Yes, so a licensed clinical social worker is mostly trained in counseling. Um, so they all have master's degrees in social work, um, but they have a two year, um, they have two years of clinical supervision at least in order to sit for an exam um, to become a licensed clinical social worker. So their expertise really is um, counseling of, of therapy um, and really addressing mental health concerns, um, which I think is really rare and it's wonderful that we have them here in the offices um, just because we know cancer really is an all-encompassing diagnosis. So, um, you know, mental health is really important as well and patients feeling like they have the support that they need going through such a tough diagnosis is really, really important. You know, from my perspective, one of the things that the LCSWs provide, you know, it's obviously the patient and listening to them and taking care of their needs, but also the family as well. You know, it, it really, you know, cancer affects not just the patient, but their family members and caregivers. And I think, you know, you guys do such an amazing job of incorporating their needs and, and sort of the whole dynamic of this family situation. Is that something you guys get trained on specifically, or is it something you kind of pick up as you go? Or what is the thought process when you're looking at the whole picture of the family? You know, it's really both. Social work in general, we're looking at you know the whole family system, the patient's whole um, whole life really. If that means that you know they don't have a lot of family, if that means they rely more on friends and neighbors, um, but then absolutely, as you go through practice, um, a lot of us have experience working in hospitals prior to this, um, homeless shelters prior to this. So um, we have a really broad range of of working with patients from all different backgrounds, all different types of social support all different socioeconomic backgrounds um, to really kind of pull together and, and work with people in really every aspect of life that's, that's necessary. Absolutely. Um, you know, we counsel not just the patients sometimes if it's needed, their spouse, their children, um, and there are, you know, resources out there as well, but it is something that we try to, to really touch every, every aspect of life that's, that's necessary. A new cancer diagnosis can be a big financial impact or have a big financial impact on the patient and their families. How do you go about, you know, helping patients through that and talking about what kind of help they have and, and options they have to help with payments for treatments and um, even getting to the cancer center and, and back and forth? We do really like to try to use as many resources as possible. Um, you know, we meet with a patient, we do, again, talk about, you know, what their family supports are, what their financial resources are, um, what, what their needs may or may not be. We really try to, I think, it's such a, a tough thing when you're first starting that everything feels really overwhelming. So we try to talk about and, and ask the questions that maybe they haven't even thought about yet of logistics of how this is all going to work together and piece together. Um, our staffs have really fantastic financial counselors in the office as well that we work with um, in terms of trying to make sure that, that a patient is getting as much assistance as possible to be able to afford treatment. We definitely don't want anybody to not get treatment just because of finances. So there's different grants that we work with, there's different drug companies we work with um, in terms of, of trying to get patients to get the funding to be able to get their treatments. Um, 
there's also, we have a wonderful foundation within our practice um, to help to pay for different household bills for patients just to offset the cost, knowing that, that again, yeah, all these copays add up, they have hospital bills, you have bills from outside places. Um, so our grant is amazing and is just a lifesaver for, for patients a lot of times. Um, and then transportation-wise as well, we try to utilize any community services mm -hmm. possible um, to get people to and from. Because, again, we don't want that to be a reason why somebody doesn't get the treatment that they need. Yeah, I mean, I always view you guys as sort of like the Swiss Army knives of <laughs> care in the sense mm -hmm. that it's sort of like there's a problem. We're not really sure how to fix this. It may involve all these different things that I don't know if Danny can, agrees, but from the physician side, sometimes mm -hmm. we don't know the details. And you right. know, we send them to you guys, and it's like this magical process where they show up they have transportation they have all this assistance and everything and it's, right. it's um, I mean from a provider standpoint it's you know super helpful and takes that you know burden off a of patient so they can focus on the care that they need and so I just I'm always amazed at what you guys do because I think it's it's very difficult to navigate the ever-changing landscape of insurances and resources and you know like you said pharma and everything like that it's so hats off that's all I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you guys do amazing work, amazing work. We have a great, great team. There's six of us now. We all kind of are spread across, um, you know, we cover all the all the clinics. Um, but again, a lot of us, again, you know, the six of us, we are all coming from different places, all have this, you know, different experiences that we are able to have kind of in our backpacks and little toolkits that we're able to use with different people. And, um, you know, we talk to a patient and there may be something that we're not completely sure about. Again, we have this group behind us of, of experts that have worked in this field more so than, you know, than another one. So it's got a really great team. I think one of the things I've learned is there's always these resources available sometimes through insurance that the, the patient already has access to or resources that are, or they're entitled to, but they may not know or, you know, and us as clinicians may not know. And feel like you guys always kind of can say oh actually did you know you have x available to you or y available to you and i'm sure you'll get into some of those specific things that you touched on some of them already but just these resources that yeah you know, i personally didn't know existed a lot of them you know and it's that's a big deal absolutely i think you know it's it's always an education there's always something new that we're learning every day with things continuing to grow and evolve and um, but yes, whether it's social security and going through, you know, that process with patients of applying for disability benefits of, you know, talking to patients about, you know, maybe you do have short-term disability or long-term disability through work, but you hadn't thought to ask about that yet. Um, you know, different things like that of, of Medicare and Medicaid and all the insurance questions of, of transportation, um, options and benefits that, like you said, yeah, they wouldn't necessarily think, oh yeah, my insurance will cover that. But you know, a lot of times it, it will, a lot of times mm -hmm. there are those benefits because it, there's a real need. So, absolutely. It takes a lot of the fear away in terms of, you know, keeping their households running and keeping everything running smoothly at home when they're, you know, undergoing treatment that's, you know, obviously had a big impact on their, on their life and their emotional well-being. So you guys do just a fantastic job, I know, um, helping them out and we appreciate you. Um, yeah, I had a patient recently who came to me and, and I, you know, he was a, came from the Southside Clinic, came to the beaches because he lived closer to the beaches clinic and told me that he was walking two miles a day to get to clinic. And I was, you know, this day and age, that's, that's not very common that patients are walking that kind of distance to get to their clinic appointments. And he's undergoing a active treatment too. 
And, you know, you know, Rachel over at our clinic, she really took the lead and, and helped him out. And he has transportation every day to his appointments. So, you know, once we recognize, I think that patients need that help, you guys really jump on it and you're just on top of it and making it so that the patients aren't really struggling to to undergo their treatments. And it's it's one stressor away from them. So. I think, like you said, sometimes it is a daunting thing that you say, you're going to see the social worker, but really and truly, I mean, we're happy to help. That's what we're there. Um, so it's, it's something that I think is pretty unique. I don't think a lot of clinics have the availability of, of social work staff to be able to help out with a lot of those things that, that are really necessary. Do you see a big difference in patients that maybe you meet with on a more regular basis versus ones that you don't meet with or you're meeting for the first time? I mean, like how often do you meet with patients? You know, it really depends. Um, we try to make it as painless as possible. Um, some people, it's you know every six months or so. Um, some patients, it's really just just as needed. That they know that we're a phone call away, and that's the goal: is that everybody knows that we're a phone call away. We're there as much or as little as you need to be, to see us. Um, and I, I do think for sure when we initially see somebody, they've just been diagnosed. Um, we do see them kind of. Uh, really settling into the process as things go along of, you know, to begin with, they're so overwhelmed, there's so much anxiety of, I don't know what to expect. Um, I don't know exactly what even some of this stuff means. Um, so really trying to help, uh, help the patients to work well together with their doctors, with the nurses, make sure that they're bringing up any questions or concerns that they have and feel like they're really an active part of their treatment and not that they're just coming in and I have to do this and I have to do this and, you know, just, making sure they feel comfortable. Um, I think the clinics are really great resources. I think that the nurses work so well together with the patients and you know, there's just kind of that family feel um, for them. So I think that as patients continue to come back for treatment, continue to see us in the office, I do see definitely a, a settling, a feeling of they get more comfortable as they, as they come into clinic um, each time. And you know, we learn their names, they know the names of all the nurses, and. It's just really a cool thing to see. And then again, you know, they know um, on the social work side of it that, that we're here if you need us. If not, that's okay too, but uh, we wanna be able to be with you every step of the way. Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts of when I go to the clinic, because I work at the business office, so I usually only go when I have to take pictures of someone, which I know you guys love so much. Um, walking in and seeing a patient walk in and everybody greets them by name. like first name or mm -hmm. hi mr so-and-so hi miss so-and-so like and the patients you can really like tell just how happy they are to see their care team and how special that is and i you know i think everybody does such a great job at making our patients feel like family and making the process easy and well, i think just jumping back on what you said before meredith you know the fur the beginnings the analogy i always use with patients when they're first diagnosed and coming to see you is it's truly like drinking water from a fire hose. I mean, there's so much information coming at them so fast from their doctors, from all the appointments, all the tests they're going through, you know, the uncertainty. And no one, even people in the medical field, when they're in that situation, no one's ready really and prepared to handle it. So I think you guys do a nice job of synthesizing some of the different things that are happening on the outside and presenting it in a way that, you know, hopefully helps put the patient at ease. So... I think that's extremely important, especially at the beginning, to get you guys involved early rather than waiting until, you know, the last minute. It's definitely smoother when we're able to meet up front ahead of time. Again, try to anticipate some of the issues that may or may not come up that they're just so overwhelmed they can't think of even asking at this point. Um, and kind of jumping on those things and trying to really, really 
um, solve everything that we can so that it's really a smooth, less anxiety-evoking process. We know that it's just a huge change for the patient, for their for their families. The more that we can do um, to help out, you know, we know that nobody wants to be in the clinic getting chemo. Nobody wants to have cancer. So if we can make it as smooth and as pleasant as possible, and make it feel like more of a family environment, we would love to be able to do that. And I think that's one of the strengths at CSNF is you know we're in these offices that are all over the city, but each office has its own little contained environment with all the resources available to the patient. So. They just walk down the hallway to talk to you as opposed to having, you know, go to another campus or go to a different, you know, wherever and, or a phone call. It's, it's I think, puts a lot of patients that put me at ease if I was in, the, in their shoes and that, you know, you don't, everything is in one roof. You feel like there's a cohesive vision of the whole team. It's not scattered in multiple different places. I think is a very comforting feeling and, and I think presents itself as a, unique aspect for a practice like CSNF. Well, what I've noticed is there's a lot of uh, costs associated with some of the new oral agents that have come out that, you know, when we talk about supplemental coverage plans and, and talk about some of the uh, added cost of oral therapies, and which is actually, you would, you would imagine that it would be cheaper to co- than coming in for IV infusions all the time. But uh, oftentimes we're dealing with the, the biggest costs and the biggest financial I- impact of those oral therapies. And so Meredith, you guys do do a great job at helping guide patients through what their options are as far as applications for grants, applications even sometimes to the pharmaceutical company to have the pharmaceutical company pay for the drug. Uh, can you give us an example of that or talk about how you kind of approach a patient who doesn't have the money to, to pay after you know they get their uh, bill back from the insurance. This is your copay for the medicine. It's two thousand dollars per month, which is obviously unaffordable. How do you approach that? Um, so we have the pharmacy that's in house, which is wonderful in terms of, of communication and being able to work back and forth with them. But yes, yeah, so typically they will immediately alert us and say, "Hey, this patient is start, starting on this new oral, and their copay with insurance is thirty one hundred dollars." Um, so, which is really not that out of the ordinary, especially with Medicare patients. Um, with Medicare, you're not able to use any sort of copay cards or anything like that. Um, so it's almost always a problem with these oral chemotherapies. Um, so we will look at what assistance is out there available. We love to try to get grants for patients so that they can use their insurance benefits and then the grants will pick up whatever the, the insurance doesn't. Um, there's a few different privately funded grants available out there. Um, and if we cannot do that, then we would utilize the manufacturer to see if they can't provide the medicine for free for the patient instead, uh, which typically will last it for 12 months once mm-hmm. they get approved for it. Um, also, the social workers are, are good at looking at, at insurance coverage in general. Um, there's a program, it's called the Low Income Subsidy, that's available through Social Security that most people don't know about. But if the patient's income meets that, the guidelines for the program, then they'll go ahead and help them put, be put into the program. It takes a few months, and we can do something in the meantime. We can try and get a grant. We can try and get the medicine provided. But it would help them out with all of their medicine, all of their oral medicines from then on and, and put a little bit less of a Band-Aid on it and, and have you know a, a greater long-term solution to the problem that is prescription drug coverage. So once they you know complete that application, they get approval, 
if they needed, you know, a grant or provided drug to cover them for a few months, then that expensive medication, once it's approved, will be covered thereafter. That's great. That's great news. So again, I mean, the team is very good at looking at, you know, not just not just short-term um, solutions, but trying to look at, at long-term solutions for patients so this isn't something that continues to be a, a stressor um, as they go on and go through go through treatment. And again, like you said earlier, it's one of those things that you may not even know is available. Most don't even know it's out there, but it's absolutely out there and readily available for, um, for anyone to apply. So they're great about letting patients know if they think that they would qualify. So Meredith, when people listening to this podcast, I, Brandon tells me people do listen, so... They do. Allegedly, we have an audience. Meredith uh, listens. Yeah, she does. Yes. Occasionally, she said. I will more. Yes. All right. It's, mine. it's only been out for right. two months. We're so looking for a review think, soon. There's like looking fingers crossed behind your back. Yeah. That's not all. But for people listening who um, are in this situation or their family members are in this situation or friends are in this situation, what are some questions that they, in your opinion, give, give some examples of things that maybe people should come in asking you or asking their providers to kind of maybe spark some of this conversation? One of the biggest things that, that I see is that um, a lot of times not everyone is on the same page, the patients, the family members. And so I think that really we try to encourage them to, if it's something the patient's only able to come in by themselves, making sure that they bring in a notebook, that they write down their questions ahead of time, that they have that ready to go. Um, and same with, and so family members are coming in with them, making sure that they're all on the same page of, of what those questions should be for their provider when they come in, um, so that they're really asking those questions that they really want to know the answers to, um, and really ma- maximizing um, their time when they are with the doctor when they come in. Um, and more so, I think, when you're in that situation, like, I can think of like a hundred questions to ask, you know, my doctor ahead of time. But when I go and see him face to face, I'm like, duh. So, I mean, that's something my mom always did with my dad. She has like 20 folders of just questions to ask. And, you Mm -hmm. know, as she thinks of them, she just keeps it with her and writes it down. So, you know, I think to that point for meeting with physicians or social work or the dietitians, whoever, you know, if you think of something, even if it's nine o'clock at night, write it down. Even if it's just a note on your phone. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, again, when you're when you're meeting with a doctor, we want to make sure too um, that the patients and the family members really are understanding. You know, first of all, what what their diagnosis is, what exactly that means. Well, I think Meredith, where you help out definitely is these situations where, you know, family members and and the patient, of course, they haven't had really time to digest all the information and. Uh, you know, talk to each other about what the significance behind it is. And when you meet with your physician, again, you may have all those questions in your head that you want to ask, but you may not get everything out. So I think you help coming in uh, to play there and really um, having that conversation with the patient and the family say, okay, what, what do you understand? What did you learn from your physician? How can we help you, uh, you know, understand this better and really work through your, your diagnosis and treatment? Um, so I think it, it, it almost adds to the, the clinic visit that we have with patients uh, to see you even afterwards to really go over those things that they might have, you know, forgotten to ask and forgot to highlight during their visit with us. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, kind of going back and if there are more questions now after that have come up, then we encourage them to write those things down. So next time they see the doctor or when they see the nurse, they can go back over those things. But just making sure that we really are... Um, 
making sure that the patients and their family members really are understanding what's going on. So everybody's in the loop and it helps us to be able to take care of them better at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and then with, with patients and with our family members, you know, we do talk about, again, just taking that inventory of, of how we're feeling today, of, um, you know, are we noticing any sort of changes in terms of your mood, in terms of um, your interest in doing things that you used to enjoy doing before this diagnosis, um, and just kind of kind of going over these mental checklists of, of what's going on, how we can help troubleshoot some of the issues that, that may come up that maybe weren't there when they first started, but they're starting to kind of pop up as mm -hmm. treatment goes along. You know, sometimes you, you Meredith, and, and Rachel at the Beach's office, I've seen you play kind of a mediator, too, between physician and the patient, and, and there might be questions or there might be things that were brought up where, you know, it might elicit a little bit of anger, it might elicit a little bit of more of an emotional response, and you really help walk patients through that, facilitate conversations between us and the patient, and I think it just comes down to the patient and, and the physician understanding each other and you know, goals of, of treatment, you know, um, were there questions that were unanswered and, and, you know, you can help really play that mediator role, I think, sometimes. Well, let's talk a little bit about Meredith and her background. Yeah. Yeah, Meredith's up here. So, so Meredith, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up? Uh, why Florida State? I mean, yeah, <laughs> why you're here? But uh, what brought you to CSNF? <laughs> so I am actually born and raised in Jacksonville which is okay. really rare. Um, I am a third generation Knoll. So, uh, you know. Makes sense now. <laughs> Legacy. So, um, went to FSU. I initially wanted to be an attorney. And then about halfway through, I realized that is not what I would like to do. I love to help people, um, but not in that way. That's not my personality at all. So, um, did a little switch to the psychology. Um, psychology background halfway through from political science and um, then went straight into grad school at FSU um, and getting my master's in social work. And but you actually graduated double major in three and a half years? I did. I, did. I graduated wow. single major wow. in five years, so. Mm. Had I, too much fun in college, Brennan? Well, I was in a sorority. Or she traveled, you know. Did no, some. I was in a sorority. It's fine. <laughs> I was. Ooh. All right. Well, we're not going to, you know. Just also, in order to start um, grad school when I did, I had to yeah. start in January. So that, that was a little bit of a push for sure. Um, so, yeah. So did my master's at through FSU um, as well in social work and then worked at um, Soulsbacher Homeless Shelter for about mm -hmm. a year while I was in grad school. Um, and then did my final internship at St. Vincent's Riverside. So I was there for four years um, working with initially infectious disease um, patients and then um, switched to oncology. And then I got hired from St. Vincent's Riverside, got kind of recruited over here um, about 10 years ago. So I started in August of 2011. It's just felt like home since then. So, and there were only three social workers at the time when I first started, and we've just grown and grown, and so we've got a really great team these days. Mm -hmm. And Meredith also sits on our foundation board. So I know we kind of talked about the foundation, but I like to plug it in every single episode and bring it up. <laughs> kind of, do you want to maybe talk about the application process just a little bit about that? Because it's not just for our patients. Anyone can apply. 
That is true. So as long as you are receiving cancer treatment currently or have within the last six months, um, you qualify to apply for the foundation. There are some income guidelines um, as well, but we help to pay for things like rent, for mortgages, for JEA bills, car payment, car insurance, um, other you know necessities. We know, again, that cancer treatment can be expensive. Um, people are getting bills from all over the place. A lot of times people are having to miss work um, or be on short-term disability, so they're not making their, their normal um, normal salaries and whatnot going through treatment. So the foundation also has a transportation grant for patients who are coming back and forth to radiation every day. So we provide gas gift cards for patients who qualify for that as well. It's a, it gets utilized a lot, obviously. It does. A lot of our patients. I mean, it's a big ask for anyone to come to a doctor's office five days a week for potentially weeks and weeks, depending on the diagnosis. And I think having that available is very, very crucial. It does. Two big events that we put on each year as a company to help raise money for the foundation. Uh, Cocktails for a Cause. This year is July 22nd um, at Top Golf. So we hope to see ed- everyone out there, maybe get some listeners out there. Uh, and then also the golf tournament, uh, October 22nd as well. So the links for how to sign up for those will be in the show notes. Sure. Yes. And you can email medicalminute at csnf.us if you would like to buy a ticket for cocktails. We are only doing pre-sales because COVID still is kind of a thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, we're mm-hmm. going to give it one more year. Get it's your okay. vaccinations. Okay. Get your vaccinations. Yeah. Boom. Meredith, thank you. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Really awesome. And thank you for all that you do. You make our jobs a lot easier. What do you think of Trey Young? It's unbelievable. I mean, you like that shimmy before you hit the three. <laughs> so disrespectful. It is. I love it. Yeah. Uh, did you see that, Brennan? He he did a little shimmy shake that. before he hit a three during uh, during the game. You know, I mean, and this is a playoff game. I mean, playoff basketball. You think the defense would be there, but he had enough time to shimmy and then shoot a three. <laughs> I just don't like the way you say shimmy. It makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> That's what I hear on. <laughs> That's what I hear the announcers say. Oh, okay. What would you call it? I thought you were keeping your ear to the streets. (laughs) How would you describe it? No, shimmy is the right word. You just just don't want me to say it. You just don't want me to say it. I think because he pauses a little bit before he says it. Lots of pausing. He pauses and then he looks at one of us. (laughs) I'll be like, shimmy. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I didn't say it like that. And now I'm getting too close to the microphone. Yeah, no, we can't hear anything now. It was like you said it like you were reading off like when you go to like dictionary.com and you Mm -hmm. have to click on the how to pronounce a word. Shimmy. 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 But yeah, Trey Young is unbelievable. He's what, six six foot, six one? Yeah, maybe. I don't think he can dunk. Can he dunk? He might be able to dunk. Sure, he's got to be able to dunk. But it's pretty pretty spectacular from a guy who just dominated in college at Oklahoma. Mm. You didn't know if it would translate into the pros, and clearly it has. It's pretty pretty spectacular. Well, he's, he had to model his game off of Steph. Had to. They're basically, you know, very similar. Hit the three from anywhere. You know, good ball handling. Yeah, I don't know. All it's interesting. The it, these, yeah, I think that's a good comparison. I also think there's a lot of Steve Nash and Trey Young. Mm-hmm. I, mean, he, I mean, he racks up. 
13, 14 assists every night, and he's primarily, obviously, the primary ball handler for the team. This is very interesting because he's not as good a shooter as Steph, but he certainly takes the, the same shots as Steph. But I think his passing is definitely probably his most underrated oh, skill. Yeah. Yeah. And for a guy that size, because he's shorter than Steph. It's impressive. He is. All right, we'll get into it. Larry Bird. <laughs> oh, so you want to go? I oh, tried. Can I tell you actually another interesting <laughs> oh, thing? Another mass hole rant? Oh, okay. Used, so, so I got to bring up Ben Simmons because that was a hot, hot take. <laughs> um, so he he gave up a dunk in in the I think game seven, right? He was right under the hoop. He had Trey Young on him guarding a six foot. This Ben Simmons is six eleven, right under the hoop. Didn't dunk it. Passed it to his teammate. Ended up losing the game. Might have been, might have been a play that would have kept them in the game. And then everyone's ragging on him. You know, can't shoot, can't shoot. And there was a, a interview with Kobe Bryant, I guess two years or two or three years ago, where he said, you know, what's one thing you would, you know, tell Ben Simmons to do? And he's like, shoot, get a, you know, get a jumper, shoot. You have to in the NBA. And that's what everyone's telling him to do. And the one thing he didn't do in Game Seven of the NBA playoffs, he couldn't shoot. And so they, they keep replaying that clip, and it's like, man, this guy's like, sky's the limit for this guy, but he can't shoot. So, I don't know. Feel bad for him. But I don't, because he's making a lot of money. Yeah, man. He's in the NBA. It was, the, he couldn't, it was the same thing coming out of college. I mean, everyone. Never shot, yeah. Whether he wants to do it or not, is it's kind of on him. Yeah. You know, or else, you know, this is the kind of ridicule you get when you have a very glaring weakness and it's on full display. But got to have that assassin mentality in the NBA to be like Kobe, MJ. But not everyone wants to be Kobe or MJ. Yeah. Or is it a good thing? I don't know. Because if you're not as good as them and you have that attitude, it's horrible yeah. for a basketball team. Well, yeah. If you're not as good as them. Because then you could be Dion Waiters. <laughs> you may think you're as good as Kobe, but right. you're not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you hurt the team. Again, Larry Bird, man. That's all I know. <laughs> you know breathe, he was in. Breathe. You know he was in Kobe's <laughs> starting top starting five. Larry Bird was in his top starting five. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. So. What kind of feedback did we get on the mass hole? Right? My extensive knowledge of basketball. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, no, they loved it. Oh, geez, loved it. Oh yeah. Good. Well, I called my mom after I was like, Rick went on a mass hole rant, and she was like, Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like, told her the whole thing, and she and when you said, "Now mass holes love being called mass holes," she's like, "We do." I'm like, "I know you do." <laughs> uh, Seems like the reverse Boston psychology. Yeah. You throw hate at them, and it only makes them stronger. Yes. It's amazing. Exactly. I know. I did look up, I, I tried, I really tried in the last month to like... Brush up on your knowledge? Of basketball. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, it didn't work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just, like an hour before you guys came in, I just typed an NBA on my phone. Oh, I was God, like, <laughs> Jesus, should have started sooner. Well, at least you're not like Danny trying to talk about football. At least you just don't talk about it. Right. There you go. There well, you go. well I, now I'm not going to bring it up anymore. No, No more football talk. You will. Well, Rick's going to bring it up when the season starts, well, but I'm not going to have a comment. Rick and I will talk. Yes, you guys, will. No. Yes. But you could teach us about Maybe it. when the Browns win, I can have a comment. Because we'll look at you and you'll do. They should be good this year. Although I saw OBJ on the treadmill. I did see that clip. I didn't see that. No. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous speed. 
Yeah. Ridiculous. Makes sense. That's all I know. Yeah. Got some good talent on the Browns. There it Do is. you know what OBJ stands for? <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. Come on. All right. Come on. Well. All right. Good. I'll send on a high note. <laughs> Probably good. It's going into gonna, the it's episode. Not get from no, it, no, it definitely will not. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like us to answer, or if you just want to say hi, email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. I can even say it today. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and we hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions and, and tune, tune in, in next time. time.